This was recorded at the 18th Chinwag Live event Search vs. Recommendation on September 2nd, 2008 in London. Featuring on the panel Walid al Sakaf of Trusted Places, Lisa Detlefson of Base One, Luke Arrington from Revue, David Mayer-Roberts of The Filter, and John Myers of MediaVest, with Google consultant Steve Johnston sharing. It was sponsored by Sun Startup Essentials and the UKTI. The event was produced by Elizabeth Varley and Deirdre Malloy on behalf of Chinwag, Part 3. Uh, my name is Philip Hoffman. I'm the co-founder of, of uh, Snagster. Is that gone? It's back. Uh, Snagster is a recommendation site. So I have a little bias here. Uh, firstly, I think the guys on the left are much better looking than the guys on the right. <laughs> Willing to chat afterwards. <laughs> my question uh, is around uh, context. What I, what I need you to answer, uh, the search engine guys, is how you deliver context. Because the guys on the left uh, use taste tests uh, and they use their network of friends, tr- sort of a trust filter to help people find things very quickly. But what search engines don't provide is any context. You can search, things are very popular, the most popular things comes up first. But how do you deliver context for someone? Because they just don't know if they can trust the results they find. Uh, well, that totally depends on what site it is. But um, obviously, the, for, for, from an SEO point of view, and, and I very much specialize in search and optimization on organic, is that it's, it's very much about the relevancy a good SEO would never do anything that uh, optimize for anything that isn't relevant. So the relevancy is one thing. Obviously, if it's a brand that has a high uh, trust already, you don't need to necessarily work on that. But yeah, maybe like we were talking about earlier, getting the kind of reviews fed, fed into those sites um, uh, would be an idea. But so, sorry, did I understand your question right? Or? You kind of answered it, but the problem with... I mean, you can find reviews through search engines, but those, yeah. again, have no context because you don't trust the person that wrote the, wrote the review. The guys on the left provide context because those, those are reviews based on people you have something in common with and mm-hmm. also they could, be, they could be friends. So you trust those results. Mm-hmm. Those reviews have no context. They're just the most sure. popular reviews and you can't evaluate stuff like that. I, I, I would split this into different industry sectors. I would look at this in a different way because if I looked at it from a travel site point of view and I was going to, buy, you know, to, to stay at a hotel, I absolutely want to know it's a good hotel, it's going to be a nice stay, it's going to be everything like that. If I'm, and we keep mentioning digital cameras, so I'm going to stick with that one. If I want to buy a Sony P15 camera or whatever it might be, I'll go to the search engine and believe me, it's price. So people will purchase it. As long as the site looks legitimate and it's secure, they'll, they'll buy the camera at the cheapest price, without a doubt. They'll, I've seen it in the travel sector where if you just drop, you know, you drop your prices by 1% underneath another provider, brand completely goes out of it. People will purchase that hotel to save £10. It becomes a real price-driven game. So maybe it's Tenerife. It depends. Yeah, uh, we're knocking Tenerife now. Uh, what I'd like to add to that is that I think to um, summarise the Google results as being the most popular results misunderstands really what Google's doing. Google is absolutely providing context. The nature of how it assesses a particular page is not based on some simple popularity method, but on the nature of the sites that link to it and their context to the site that is being linked to. So if the site is in the top results for a particular search, then it has high reputation links into it that are on topic. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Yes, I agree with you. Not just popularity, but the question is relating to that person making the search. 
Um, I don't really care if it's really popular amongst a certain group of people. If they're chavs, I'm not interested. But if it's a group of people that I, that I have something in common with, sure. then it's meaningful. And okay. Google isn't providing... No, it's not, it's not that providing that anything context. yet in the general search results. Google's personalised search is going on in the background. You're able to sign up and participate in it. And they're obviously experimenting in the different effect that has on people's likelihood to click through. And the, Google track very carefully where you go off from Google and how long you are there before you're back on Google. So they're really, really interested in the effectiveness of things like personalised search. And personalised search is working very yeah, hard to try and improve that. It really is like Big Brother. I mean, if you, think about your, if you think about your search history, it's all in there. So when you actually look at your Google toolbar, it's got suggested searches and historical searches. So it is absolutely monitoring everything that you are doing. But their and general results do not have any personalised t- stuff in it yet. Yeah. No. They won't do that automatically until they're sure it's better than what you currently yeah. experience. You don't really want that. Uh, no, you don't want them looking after your life. <laughs> Why, what do you search for then? <laughs> okay. Another question. Don't ask. <laughs> okay, uh, we have some more at the back there. Hi, I'm I'm Mari Clark, I'm former editor of Revolution and and I run a social and search uh, media agency. Um, My question is kind of related to John's um, about user profile. Um, You mentioned travel and how if the price drops that people get more involved about, they will switch from one brand to another. The Forrester Research Report that appeared earlier this year said that a lot of people were researching their travel options online, but actually booking it offline. I obviously I've, I know trusted places very well. If I go on trusted places, I look at a restaurant. I don't know whether or not the person has gone there on their own or with you know the boyfriend with kids. I don't know what their kind of um, their their impression of the restaurant was based on because I don't they're like me. Do you think there's a need for emotional purchases like travel, which is a very emotional purchase? and restaurants, which are all experience-based, do you think there's a need for a really defined user profile as opposed to going and buying a digital camera? Yeah, definitely. Great question. Yeah, great question, and quite answered it in a lot of respects yourself in some respects. I think, um, I think there is. I absolutely believe there is, and I think you know, just looking at the travel sector, it, it, there's such a scope of different product, you know, from everything from the £99 to, Week, week away somewhere on the, on the booze cruise to, you know, purchasing a £2,000 cruise itself. You know, it, it, it works in different ways. And certainly, you know, working with the travel companies that I've worked with, you'll find that the cruise side of things, pretty much most of it will end up at the high street or will end up being in a call centre where the person wants to talk it through, understand the options, be reassured about, you know, they're not above the, you know, they're not getting on a deck which is going to get them noise at night or anything like that. Where the other end of the spectrum is somebody's just looking for the cheapest way to get away and get some sunshine in a lot of respects. So it does work in total different ways. And it, I think for me, it depends on what the scale of the product is to how emotional that particular product becomes. So it, it's, it is a need, and we're finding more and more with search that we need to push things to call centers or, and be able to track the interaction between on and offline. So I absolutely agree with you. So, anyone add something to that? Yeah, I just want to add something upon that. Um, you're very right. I mean, what's important here is transparency. So, if you're looking at that one review, and, you know, it was it relevant, you know, because she had kids or she didn't have kids or she was there with her boyfriend or, or not, then you can click on her profile and see her other reviews and find out more information about her. I'll give you a very good example. Uh, a few, I think it was last year, we had a uh, woman who became handicapped uh, five or six years ago who used Trusted Places for one mission, which was to review all places that are handicap-friendly. Now, if you read one of her reviews, she didn't mention that word. So 
the context, if you want, of, of the review, that, that there was no relation to me. But then if I looked at our other reviews and see uh, more information about her profile and the places you reviewed, you start putting context and see how relevant it is to you. So it's a lot about transparency and you know, how much information you can find out about the user and potentially if you can interact with him or her. Is that, you satisfied with that answer? Excellent, thank you. Um, yes, at the back behind you. Hi, Jonathan Allen from Incisive Media. Um, it seems to me. Hi, like... Jonathan. Good to see you. Hello. <laughs> um, it seems to me like the question of like recommendation versus search is a bit like saying, uh, when I go to the shops, do I have to walk down the street? And because um, obviously, I, you know, in search engines, it's a bit like walking down the street to find a product. Um, but what it what so. What Google does well is algorithmic recommendations, essentially. So what I'm wondering is what are the, you know, and the recommendation guys have a lot of content. And what I'm wondering is what algorithms are they going to start to introduce into their content that can compete with Google? Because it's not, we, can, we all need to kind of get off Google's dick, basically. It's like, there is Now we're going to have to edit the podcast now. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, but... But at the same time, it's like, you know, we've got mobile devices coming out, we've got social networks. People, lots of traffic is moving away from Google and into these areas. And that's where, you know, the recommendation guys can start making deals with publishers and, you know, just completely cut search out. And that's where you need algorithm and an algorithmic sort of approach. So what are you doing in that area? Well, um, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, our start point is all algorithmic. So um, we, we look at the usage. Um, so that is uh, listening patterns, purchase patterns, browsing patterns uh, for music, movies, web video. And we use some um, proprietary Bayesian, well, adapted Bayesian algorithms to basically learn about um, people's uh, tastes. We also build into it, uh, into everything that we do. There's, a, there's what we call a half-life because actually what you're doing today um, says, about, says a lot about you today, but it doesn't necessarily say a lot about you in two weeks' time. I mean, I don't know how many of you have bought um, a DIY book on Amazon and have done up your flat and you're still being recommended DIY books five years later. <laughs> I'm one of them. Um, but so it needs to forget. So algorithmic, totally agree with you. Now, the interesting thing for us is we started very algorithmically. Um, that's, that was the whole part of the, of the business. And we're actually bringing in, blending in the social recommendations to make it a better blend for, for the end user. So we're bringing in more of what these guys are doing, uh, attaching it to the, the, the algorithm. The, the, the benefit of, of music, say, and, and movies and anything digital is that we can start, we can monitor what you're doing and, and use that, and not in a big brother way, but use that to help uh, your discovery. But actually we do find that people still want to get things recommended or filter things through friends experts, you know, gurus, brands, whatever you want to call it. So I think that blend for us is critical um, to, the, to the future and to not be on Google's uh, bosom. Luke, Luke. <laughs> I think we can get away with that one. Luke, uh, we'll have so Google now has a dick and a set yeah. of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> we need already. <laughs> uh, 
I, I think our, our challenge is, is, is somewhat simpler in some respects, but one of the challenges we face, we've got reviews of over 800 TVs. One of the challenges we face is how do we make sure the TVs on the front page are the most relevant to people? Um, and we have a far more simplistic algorithm, our own, which looks at the page views for those TVs, not just on our own site, but across our network of over 50 partners. We combine those impressions with customer scores, um, and especially with the waiting where a product's got more than 15 reviews, which we're starting to see as a sort of reasonably significant sample. So we can make sure that the products you see at the, at the top of the front page are those that are likely to be most relevant. The next step then is to start building in the personalised aspect as well, which, uh, which we're only just starting on. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Willad, have you got anything to add on the algorithmic front? No, okay. Um, right, there was one guy at the back, and then we'll come to you at the front in a minute. Cool. Benjamin Ellis from Red Cat K. We kind of danced around it um, a little bit because we kind of talked about content and context um, and kind of walking down the high street. But isn't the battle here really about understanding the user's intent and who can win that? So I'll give a silly example and then a real example. So back to the digital SLR because it seems to have legs as an example this evening. One you so, bought earlier, presumably. So uh, there's a, a Canon 40D, just as an amusing story. I was kind of searching for that on eBay. You can tell what went wrong here, can't you? So I left the Canon bit out and just searched for 40D on eBay, <laughs> which left me with a lot of explaining to do to my wife. Um, but just as a silly example of the difficulty of understanding intent, and even with seeking out a camera and a camera view, if I'm buying a camera to do kind of happy snapping versus... Uh, sports photography versus wildlife photography, there's very different sorts of recommendations that I'm after. And isn't the winner going to be whoever can understand that and get me the right content and who's best placed to win that battle? Lisa, do you want to talk to that? Yeah, well, from, from a search engine point of view, from a, um, a context and understanding what their intention with their search was, uh, Google is working a lot um, with that, with the latent... Um, semantic indexing, LSI, as much as I'm saying, just LSI, um, for knowing what you are actually intending to search for. Uh, and it's a couple of cool tools within um, Beta on Google that you can see with the, the, all the different words that, uh, that you might have intended to look for. So I think the search engine will, will develop this uh, quite um, rapidly. And I wonder what the recommendation sites will do on that front for finding the, the, um, the connection that doesn't make sense. Again, sorry, I can't, I can't relate to... The, well, I can relate personally to the SLR thing, but, but in terms of what we're doing as a business, because it's all about um, digital content, it's, it's, it's a slightly different thing. So we actually do use um, what people are doing. The last three clicks um, are very important to us, and actually we weight them differently. So the, the current click is 100%, the last one 75%, the one before that 50%, to actually try and work out somebody's mood. Um, it's quite difficult. Um, also... Trying to, trying to understand what other filters they're looking for, you know, um, trying to give user control on some of the filters. So if they're looking for something more, um, more obvious or something actually a little bit more um, left field. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's trying to, A, understand from the data that's there and the activity um, and also give some control to the user to try and um, understand the intent, I guess. It's, 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 it's David, can I, can I ask Willard to, uh, to talk to the subject? Sure, it occurs to me if I want to eat in Bath, do I want to eat in my Bath or do I want to eat in, in the town in Somerset? It, it goes even further than that. I mean, uh, a digital camera, to some degree, is simple. Uh, for someone who comes in from Google, for example, looking at the Gaucho grill, 
what is his intent? Is he looking for an Argentinian place? Is he looking for meat? Is he looking for a place which is in Piccadilly Circus? Is he looking for a place within a certain price range? There's a lot of factors that comes into it, and to some degree, we have to extrapolate the information that comes in from the search, but also we have to give him some filters. So I say, okay, did you mean you're interested in price bracket of that area? Or do you mean you, know, you want something that is you know, South American? So we have to extrapolate a lot of information from where they, where they come from. Of course, the more they click on the site, which is our number one objective, is to get them to give us that extra click, we build a better understanding what is it they're looking for. And if that fails, there's always, of course, the community, which is here to help you find what you're looking for, which you can always call up on our members. John, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I think when you take it right back to basics, Google kind of does that in some respects. If it doesn't understand your search, it actually asks you, did you mean? Um, so it's actually already doing that and has, to, uh, has done for a little while. I mean, that's in its most basic form. I think obviously what, you know, what, it, what it's alluding to is, is certainly a lot more complex without a doubt. But Google has that mechanism there to say, did you mean this? If it can't actually understand your search. Um, the other way of looking at it as well is what David picked up on is you know, we currently do a lot of work where we look at search path analysis and we actually try and understand how the user interacts with that particular company. So we look at the first search and through the buying cycle of, you know, up to maybe 10 to 12 different searches over a period of time, which refines through a certain query to the actual purchase. And we're seeing so many different trends from, you know, starting from typical types of generic words through to actually the purchase word and understanding every single keyword that actually is attributable to a sale. And then we, we weight it. We give it, you know, 50% of the purchase right back to maybe 5% of the initial interaction and take out any keywords that have never been involved in any part of that cycle. So, it... Thank you. I'm, I'm absolutely with Lisa on this one. I think the scale of data that's put into Google and the subsequent behaviours. If Google has any ambiguities like the 40D, it will also introduce into the search results a kind of separate section of related information and seeing whether click behaviour changes. And if it does, it's, it's kind of disambiguated it a bit and says, well, next time I'll steer towards more of those results. And when you think about the amount of data Google's got to use to improve the quality of that, then it will win that race hands down, simply on the sheer question of scale. There will always be Examples like the word bath. What did I mean when I typed bath in? Um, it's, too, it's too difficult then. Seal is the most um, used example. Seal. seal? Seal, as in sealed arches. If you search for seal, they're sealed oh, arches. Um, sorry. Um, the, the example that's always used in the search conference is seal, because when you search for seal in, in the, the search engine, it usually does come up with artists because that's the most searched for, not as in as random seal that's stranded. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Right, um, down at the front here, have we got a microphone down in the front here? No, right in front of you here. Thank you very much. Um, Paul Stanser from Snagster. I'm I, I very much involved in the technical aspects, and I've heard a lot of talk about Google, but what, I, what I'm interested in is obviously the big new uh, platform is the likes of Facebook and the social networking sites. You as search and recommendation people, um, you know, we talk a lot about how friend recommendations are important. How are you, or are you interested in integrating into those kind of platforms to get your content onto social network? And if you are, what kind of aspects are you, are you taking on board? Who'd like to answer that? Malid? Um, first of all, for that one, trusted places, you can register using your Facebook credentials. So you don't ha- we use Facebook Connect, so you don't have to create a full account from, from scratch. The, the other point is all the reviews you see on the site, ones that you enjoy, you can upload them straight to your Facebook profile. So we're... 
we want our, our content to go as far as, as possible. I mean, whether it's Facebook or we're big fans of the data portability movement, for example, and, and we want our content to fly because if there's a need for it we, and we can deliver, then we want that content to be there. So whether it's uh, Facebook, whether it is um, with um, uh, Google, uh, where's that new platform? I forgot the name. <laughs> but um, yes, <laughs> thank you. So yes, we want our content to fly as far as possible. Guys, any comments, Dad? It's, 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 it's pretty much the same. I think these guys are more advanced than us um, in terms of um, already the, the integration. But at the same point I made at the beginning, we're trying to integrate um, where your friends are, which yeah. is going to be the social platforms, where you listen to or watch your content, which might be your computer or whatever, or your iPod. So we're trying to integrate all of this. Well, have you noticed any difference in the behaviours of people who are participating and sharing through Facebook <coughs> as opposed to not sharing through Facebook? Yeah, I mean, people who come in and share through Facebook um, spend a lot more time on our site, have a lot, lot more page views, and in general provide more reviews than a person that does not come, for example, from Facebook. So Facebook itself is acting as a recommendation to your service because other people are using it. That's correct. That's interesting. Okay. Um, right, I think we have room for a couple more questions. Yes? Hi, uh, James Garner from uh, Read Business Information. Um, it's just picking up on a question that's been asked by a couple other people, and it's for the recommendation guys. Um, it's all to do about the profile of user information and about how, that's, um, the, you know, how that is important in terms of the perception of the quality of the review. Um, how easy do you find it in getting that uh, user information, given that uh, increasingly there's more and more scare stories about uh, people's data being compromised um, and that sort of nature? Um, and uh, do you think that users may become more wary about giving that sort of information in the future, or do you think it's not really an issue, and how can you safeguard against that? Um, one of the things we, we've tried to do recently um, is, is to pick up on this context piece. And, and we've asked at the end of our questionnaire... Um, how would you like uh, readers of your review to, uh, to remember you, to, to recognise you? I should really be able to remember the question. But um, effectively, it's in, in four words, describe yourself. Uh, and, and what's interesting there, this isn't into demographics at all, but you get some people saying, I'm an ex-Sky engineer, I'm a 60-year-old techie, um, I'm, a, I'm a mum at home with four kids. Can you do that in four words? Um, but uh, it's... It's surprising how few people are responding. I'd say something like 15, 20% of the reviews are coming back with this four-word description. And I think there is, a, there is some hesitance to, for people to, to give too much away about themselves. And these are the people that are taking the time and effort to, to write a review anyway. So I think there is some, some hesitation on these things. And I think it's, it's about building trust, not with the, the, the readers of the content, but also with the, the contributors of the content and, and building, letting them know that they, they can trust their, their data to us. So it's a challenge. Yeah, just to build on that, it's very important as a company that you clearly you know, state what your values, what you stand out for. And then your members actually become your brand ambassadors. And, and then they say, you know, you're our trusted site. We were very surprised, for example, by the quality of the reviews that we have on our site. Um, by quality, I mean by the depth, how it's well written, but also how much personal information they're sharing in those reviews. So if... If you clearly it explains what are your values, what you stand for, and the, and the, and the mechanisms you have in place to protect um, their identity, then they should be fine. I mean, something also that we do, which works quite well, is that every two months we have workshops with our members. So we say, come and meet the team. And they get to meet you know, the, the founders, our staff, they get to meet some of the other top members, and they get a sense of what the site is all about and basically what it stands for. 
just add some, something. Sorry, it's just because a lot of what we're talking about here is people putting their actual content. Um, there's also not forgetting your activity, your data, and how that is shared. So we, we try and get a taste profile together, and we have to give people the, the chance to decide whether they, ta- they share that with anybody, their friends, or the entire site. Uh, because, um, you know, you can imagine how that says a lot about you now. The whole point in our, in our site is to play around with that, but some people might not want to do that. So you have to give the uh, dis- decision to the user. Excellent. Does that help? Okay, I think we have room for one more question. Who'd like to ask it? Make it a good one. What are you drinking? Oh, sorry, that was a bit too much for them. <laughs> okay, you've got stage fright all of a sudden. Okay, no, you've asked one already. <laughs> Guy here behind the column. <laughs> Sorry, Angus. Hi, hi. I can't promise it's a good question, but um, Tell it's us my only it. question. Um, it's been really interesting the debate tonight. Um, my name's Chris Moyes, and I work for a mobile search engine. Um, and kind of this whole debate is all, all about um, guessing what people want. And kind of my take on this is that the recommendation guys, it's really a bunch of strangers who are really good at doing what they're doing and, and can be trustworthy in some instances guessing what I'm looking for. And then on the search side, it's about a bunch of mathematicians and computers guessing what I'm looking for. But then what we've heard tonight between uh, different people looking for SLRs and stuff is actually your friends are the really, really the most trusted people. And we've heard how Twitter, and also you're seeing more on Facebook, how Facebook, the relevancy algorithms on Facebook search is determining. And this all kind of wraps into this whole thing about social graph and how that's going to change relevancy. So I just wanted to ask what the panel think about social graph going forward, about how the relationship between yourself and your network and your friends is going to change um, uh, and influence things going forward, or whether it's just bullshit. (laughs) I have to confess I've not heard the expression social graph before. Have have you guys? Well, yeah, and uh, I don't think it's bullshit. I think it's central to what um, we're we're trying to achieve. I mean, understanding... Um, entourage, I guess, in, in, in a way, you know, where are you, where we are tonight, um, surrounded by the people we're surrounded in, what, what does that mean about us at this specific point? Um, and, and if I suddenly need to search for something in this environment, does it, what is it, how different is it to me tomorrow morning in my office trying to search for something in the same sort of sector? I, I think it's early stages for that, but I think that that is where uh, the mathematicians and the content people and social networks are trying to work it out either in different ways or together, actually, in, in an integrated way. So, I, you know, the mobile platforms have a lot to give in this environment, you know, where you have got players like Nokia, say, who are trying to understand the links between people, places, and media. Um, and actually, um, we're lucky enough to be working with them on that. So uh, we've got, got a lot to understand on what... Um, what media people want to consume in certain places with certain people. Um, and I think that's the, the, the social graph type, type, type uh, discussion. Okay, thank you. Lisa? Yeah, I, I definitely think that social media will have a big impact and, and a big, um, uh, will have an impact on how people use the search and recommendation sites in the future as well. Um, I know myself um, using Facebook and, oh, by the way, when you refer to friends and stuff on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter, that's very loosely in friends like when you have over 300 friends so half you haven't actually met or twitter mostly most likely not you don't know any of them um but um when i changed my uh, profile on facebook from um 
in a relationship to engage. I suddenly got bombarded with all these ads about uh, wedding photography and uh, <laughs> venues, etc. It's very targeted. And then this is actually a very clever way that no, nothing else has been able to target in such a specific... Because people are willing to give out that information on a social network platform that they're not be able to do on the uh, the review sites um which is kind of the thing that, that you're missing that you're not being able to to uh, to match up with like you was telling the story about uh, that woman that has her um hand, handicapped and written all those reviews but not a lot not a lot of that matching up or maybe not enough on the the profile about why she's written that the, the facebook and and even linkedin now can go in very very detailed specifications so it's a, it's a mass, massive market for using those although saying that um like about six months ago everyone here were probably using facebook on a daily basis but but now, how, how? Let me ask the question first. About a year ago, how many were using Facebook re- regularly? Loads of hands. Uh, now, uh, how many of you are using Facebook regularly, like once a day? Well, still quite many. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, yeah. You're just ahead of the curve, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Could say just to add to that, I think as well, the opportunity to actually use Facebook now as a business tool is an opportunity. I don't know how many how many people are aware of Facebook polls. Facebook polls. There's actually a tab at the bottom of the main Facebook homepage where you can actually use Facebook to, and we do it all the time as an agency. You can go in there and you can set up a series of questions to ask people in Facebook, and you can really, really target it down. You can get it down by age area of country, male, female, interests, everything you want. And it's probably one of the most niche ways of actually targeting people you want to answer a specific question, which you can ask them. And it's only 26 cents, 26 cents a que- uh, per person that answers, so it's really, really cheap as well. And the actual power of that to give you that actual information as a marketing business is, is very, very good. And I would recommend anybody to go and have a look at Facebook polls. Excellent, John. Thank you very much. And at that point, we'll bring this to a close. Um, Trying to sum it up in one sentence, I'd like to say that I think search is uh, going to win part of the race because of its ability to semantically interpret what we actually mean by what we search for. But acquiring a a level of trust in a result, it's still not doing a good enough job. And that will remain, I think, for the time being, where the review sites are. And so it's a nice democratic and even-handed outcome where we can all be winners. So I'd just like to thank our panellists very much, guys. And thank you very much indeed for everyone coming, and thank you to Chinwag and our sponsors. Good night. Chinwag Live, search first recommendation on September 2nd, 2008, was a Chinwag production sponsored by Sun Startup Essentials and the UKTI. For more information, please visit www.chinwag.com. Thanks for listening.